Okay, so you said you have always been interested in handwriting, and mm. what does always mean? When do you first remember feeling that way? Well, there's a funny story. My mum, she's actually of Italian Maltese descent. Um, she came here in the 50s, sort of, she was sort of a good Catholic girl. Mm. She married my dad, who was Jewish. So there's a real mix there. But the um, point is, when I was four and a half, I was about to go to school and I couldn't write. And she had this idea that she would, she would give me a calligraphy board and a dip pen. <laughs> Mum's right. Be glad it wasn't a chisel and a stone. <laughs> You'd be a sculptor today. I know. Two artists walk into a bar. Now stop me if you've heard this one. Listen in as artists and creators talk over drinks about their work, life, and the creative journey. Thanks for tuning in to Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. Thanks to a listener suggestion, I hopped the train for West London this morning to meet up with calligraphy and textile artist Rosalind Wyatt. The way she weaves historic and significant text into some pretty cool, oh my god, how did you get your hands on that pieces is something to see. But it's the stories behind each piece that will really blow your mind. From Winston Churchill to Jude Law, her stories will make you want to hop on a plane to see these works of art for yourself. For full links and show notes, head to our website at www.twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you like the show, please subscribe, check out the back episodes, and share it with your arty friends. And if you love the show, head to the website where you can click on the martini glass icon and buy us our next round. Now follow me to Rosalind's Garden Studio and get ready for some wild and inspiring stories. Thanks again, Sandy Mayer, for the suggestion. And if any of you listeners know of another artist whose story you'd like to hear, and you see on my feed that I'm headed their way, by all means, send me a request. You can follow my travels on Instagram at carolmcquadeart.com. Cheers. Rosalind Wyatt, you are the first guest I've had on the show who is by request. Okay. One of our listeners, Sandy Mayer, yes. she yeah. wrote to me and said, oh, I haven't been listening to the show. I love the show. You're oh. in England. God, she said, if you can possibly interview my favorite artist. Oh. So <laughs> that's so nice. Welcome my first request. <laughs> oh, well, that's really nice. That's really nice to know, isn't it? Yay, yay. And this is such a beautiful spot. So we're usually in a bar dealing yeah. with background, you know, clinking glasses and yeah. people yelling. And here the only sounds we'll have are birds and these beautiful big bumblebees that yeah. are. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's amazing. This garden, this house, mm. your studio, it just all mm. is a wonderland. So mm. tell us about where we are. So we are in Chiswick, West London, and it's it's probably about, um, well, on the train, it's about 25 minutes from central London. So it's very well located for getting into the city or into central London. Um, I think Londoners, so I'm a born and raised Londoner. Londoners tend to sort of stick to an area. So I was raised in West London and if you're a West London girl, you kind of stick to West London because you kind of just get used to the vibe of it. You know, it's just, it's quite green here. Uh, there are a lot of sort of creative types. Um, it's quite sort of white middle class, if I'm if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, when my mum and dad bought here in sort of the mid-70s, it, it wasn't as sort of gentrified. Mm -hmm. You come across that word? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> gentrified is <laughs> In every neighbourhood I move right, into Right, it right, seems. right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it certainly wasn't like that in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, but they, you know, they were one of those sort of very sort of savvy property couples. You know, they, they knew they wanted a family house and they just found this home in Bedford Park in West London and that's where we were raised. And it was a complete wreck of a house. So, you know, it literally had no roof on when we moved in. So oh. <laughs> so this is where I was raised. And, and I we've moved out of the area. Um, I've moved out of the area, but I've sort of settled here now for the last 14 years. Yeah, gorgeous. Gorgeous. <laughs> this house you've been in for, mm. the, for the 14 years mm -hmm. with the studio set up. Mm -hmm. And uh, how is this for a working place for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing, I guess. You know, you, you make choices along the way, don't you? And um, when we 
Uh, well, we were, we were originally living in another part of West London, but when we uh, decided we wanted to buy a house, um, we actually located this street. And uh, funnily enough, I'd been away on a painting holiday and my husband, uh, we both ride scooters. Um, we, he, we were going on a ride and we stopped in front of this house. He said, do you like this house? I said, yeah, it's great. And he said, well, that's good because I put an offer in. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, he really kind of made that decision. But I mean, what's not to lie? Yeah, you know? it is. It, it's an artist's dream. It really yeah, is. I guess yeah, it is. Yeah. I guess it is. You know, it, yeah, it just felt right. I think things have to feel right. And that's yeah. how I make a lot of decisions. Yeah. And the work that you're doing. Mm. So you are textile based, mm. fabric based primarily. Tell us mm. a little bit about what you've been working on lately. Well, I've got a commission uh, from Burberry, mm -hmm. um, sort of part of an ongoing, well, I'd like to say relationship, but I've had sort of uh, several commissions from them now. Mm -hmm. um, it's really via the, the gallery that I'm with called The New Craftsman. And this sort of started a couple of years ago when Burberry decided to launch their autumn collection and to sort of create a whole space uh, where people could actually engage with British craft and also see the collection alongside. So I was one of uh, a group of craftspeople sort of put in this space. It was called The Maker's House. And Whilst there, I, I was sort of given this gabardine tent. And the whole theme of the collection had been Virginia Woolf. So it was already very sort of literary, if oh, you like. And perfect for yeah, you. <laughs> absolutely. So they said, create your sort of gabardine calligraphy tent. You know, that again, sort of like dream, dream project, really. Yeah. So we created this sort of canopy that I don't know if you've read or seen the film. There's a part where Orlando's desperately trying to write his book and he's lying underneath this oak tree. So the gabardine tent had oak poles and we created this canopy of leaves, but they were sort of, they were pages that had been handwritten mm -hmm. with the text of Virginia Woolf. And, the, and I said, okay, I think I've got to just sit on the floor and I've got to be this sort of little scribe person. And we had no idea how the public were going to respond, whether, you know, whether they'd even want to walk into the space, mm -hmm. but they loved it. Yeah. They just loved it. And before we knew it, there were sort of queues and queues and queues of people just queuing to have something handwritten, hand-signed. Mm -hmm. So that's how it started. And then um, that led on to a stitch commission. And that's what I'm doing at the moment. It's a stitched trench coat. Mm -hmm. It's actually a private commission for the chairman. So you're working with sort of incredibly um, sort of personal information, really. Um, and that feels, obviously, it's sort of a great privilege, really, to be working with Burberry and that creative team and that material. Right. And the piece I saw of yours that got me excited, mm. it looks to be some kind of wedding dress, and it's got handwriting yeah. stitched into it. And okay. Is that from a previous collection or yes. a previous show? So, so I call it writing with a needle. What I do really, it's I came from this calligraphy background where you obviously study the whole history of handwriting, of calligraphy, of the evolution of lettering. So I've always been fascinated with handwriting and lettering and the sort of messages behind. So at postgrad level, I sort of had this idea of well, if you can write with a calligraphy pen, if you can write with a brush. Can you write with a needle? So that's probably what you've seen is yeah. is writing with a needle where I sort of I sort of emulate the handwriting of a particular person in stitch. Mm -hmm. And it was I don't know, it might have been a christening gown you saw. Oh, I haven't done been. yeah, I haven't yeah. seen I haven't done a wedding dress yet. Yeah. Still waiting for the call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've put it out there now, Rosalind, so <laughs> brace yourself. Mm -hmm. So you said you have always been interested in handwriting and mm. what does always mean? When do you first remember feeling that way? Well, there's a funny story. My mum, uh, so she was, she's actually of Italian Maltese descent. Um, she came here in the 50s, sort of, she was sort of a good Catholic girl. Mm -hmm. She married my dad who was Jewish. So there's a real mix there. But um, point is, when I was four and a half, I was about to go to school and I couldn't write and she had this idea that she would she would give me a calligraphy board 
and a dip pen. <laughs> Mum's right. Be glad it wasn't a chisel and a stone. <laughs> You'd be a sculptor today. I know. And so she she says, uh, you know, sort of age four and a half. There I was sitting with this calligraphy board. So was you know. your mum an artist? No, but she was very creative. My dad um, was in the film industry. She was very creative. She was one of those mums that sort of did everything, you know, made our clothes, made the bread, made the house, but didn't work. Yeah. So she, you know, it was sort of just in her. She was just yeah. going to give us the best of everything yeah. that she considered the best. Yeah. And how did it go? With the- so, um, well, okay, I suppose... I went to quite an unusual school where they it was a sort of holistic system of education. So there was always this kind of spiritual input. Mm-hmm. And there again, there were the calligraphy boards, there were the dip pens. Now, I don't remember it being such a happy experience mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you've ever tried to write with a calligraphy nib, mm-hmm. not, not a fountain pen, but actually getting the ink flowing through the, yeah. the pen is quite a thing. And for, for kids, you know, your yeah. attention span isn't that you know, um, detailed at all. I think the physical part of it came much, much later, but I think definitely the the seeds were sown Mm -hmm. of making a mark. Mm -hmm. But then the whole word thing was definitely there right from the beginning. Always loved books. Mm -hmm. You know, I was always the first up in the household, you know, get a pile of books, you know, drag my dad out of bed, say, right, come on, we're going to read the books, you know. So I was kind of very engaged on a sort of book level and word level and my dad loves words. and So I I don't know, I think it was just always there. Right. And your first degree was in calligraphy. Yeah. Yeah. And what led you there? How was that for you? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously I wanted to do an arts degree here we do a foundation course ever first, which is a year's course of doing everything. Mm-hmm. And after then, after that, I just remember feeling so confused and just thinking, well, I could be a printmaker, I could be a painter, I could, you know. But mm-hmm. somehow I didn't actually uh, decide to do a degree until I was sort of in my mid-20s. And I think that was the best thing because then you're really focused on why you're studying. Yes, yeah. And what exactly you want. Um, so I knew... I knew that I wanted to learn something, really, and I knew I wanted to learn a skill, I guess. And so when I came across this degree in calligraphy and bookbinding, again, it was, it was the atmosphere, it was the, the, the space mm-hmm. uh, that really attracted me. It was big, airy, you know, artists. Um, sorry, is that a crow? No, it's <laughs> maybe a woodpecker. <laughs> Welcome no, to the it's, show, it's actually it's actually our squirrel. <laughs> oh, lovely! <laughs> Your own personal squirrel. Well, my husband feeds the squirrels. Don't don't let's not talk about. Has he come up? He really has. He oh yeah, literally, he's coming up for nuts. It's hilarious. <laughs> Who feeds squirrels? Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, I walked into this this space where people were just sitting at boards <laughs> writing. And I just thought, yeah, I could spend three years of my life here. Yeah, it was it was that instantaneous. Right. Oh, and yeah. then and then you discover what that involves. You know, learning calligraphy is like learning to write again. Yeah, it's that rigorous. Right. My brief brush with it was, oh, you're left-handed. This won't work for oh, you. No. <laughs> Pody face. <laughs> oh, you see, my 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 teacher was left-handed. And how how did your teacher? She smudged everything. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I write always. I write from the top of a page okay. to the bottom. So my books okay. are all turned sideways. I can't write across on a chalkboard. So uh, it's I, I just learned to write up and down. So she hooked her hand like that. Yeah. yeah. But it's, yeah. I mean, but she was so kind of deft at it by the end. Don't let that put you <laughs> off is what I'm saying. <laughs> Okay, so you did your degree in calligraphy, calligraphy and bookbinding. And yeah. bookbinding. Oh, and tell me about the bookbinding aspect of it. Do you, does that find its way into your work now as well? Uh, less so, actually. I mean, because it was a very traditional course, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't book art. You know, it was it was literally we have to measure half a millimeter to get the whatever it is. You know, and it was it was all like that. The whole degree was like that. So we had to decide which we were going to specialize in and I suppose I felt that the potential was more for me in calligraphy mm-hmm. so I did a year of book binding so I can bind a simple book right I think I would go as f- has that 
seeped into my work. I mean, I still love books. Mm -hmm. I love notebooks. Mm -hmm. If I find a bindery in any city, city, mm -hmm. I'll navigate my way there because I know what goes into making a book. It's right. incredible. It is. I've had some fun with that too. Just yeah. uh, not a degree, but the University of YouTube okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, and made yeah. a lot of sketchbooks with all kinds of papers and yeah. it is so tactile and wonderful and and yeah. it's a beautiful thing to do and I yeah I could see you know with the kind of work that you're doing it is very exacting in technique but sort of looser in uh, the look of it is not tight and controlled and mm. and sort of perfectionisty it's more flowing and beautiful and uh yeah so maybe there is some of it in your work <laughs> maybe yeah yeah it's an interesting that's an interesting sort of um dynamic isn't it between skill and art really mm -hmm. I would I would sort of say skill is your sort of skeleton mm -hmm. of what you do that's what you build your art on mm -hmm. and and it's just basically it's sort of learning to look and use your hands and decipher what works and what feels right mm -hmm. and I think it, it really you could take any skill you know whether it is chiseling letters or yeah. working in wood it's it's going through that process of you know of, of working with material and working it out mm -hmm. yeah yeah and being to we've just come off of this one month of I've been teaching on the cruise ships and uh, that's right. that's how I'm ending up in all these fun places ah, and getting hey. to meet you I've been teaching watercolor on the cruise ships and in a session we get people who are you know people who are art instructors or are showing mm. in places and we get people who have never put mm. a brush to paper and it's amazing the range of results people get but also I think my favorite thing to to try to bring into teaching is just what you were saying it it's about the process and being in the moment and looking it's only about looking and the results that end up in 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 that case and I find uh in art in general for me what ends up on the paper or on the canvas is a happy byproduct like it's yes. it's being in the process and in yes. the moment and so tell me more about the process of your work because it really is it's amazing and so different mm. well now um so I'll I'll sort of talk you through this commission without because yeah. I can't say a lot of details about it but okay. I can tell you about the process yeah um so what would that involve that Im that involves obviously um, meeting the client, um, getting the brief. And that's really, really important, you know, just finding out exactly what your client is wanting from you, basically. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, budget comes into all of that. And then there's normally, um, once that's really clear, there's normally an element of research. And that's sort of becoming more and more important in what I do, because it's a bit like a, I don't know, a novel. You know, the better you can research your subject, um, whether that's a map, whether that's, um, a, a, you know, someone, a handwritten letter looking into the archives, um, the, the more that reflects in the finished piece. Um, and then there's the actual making process. Um, and... Funnily enough, I find the making process the easiest, the simplest. Mm -hmm. It's it's a sort of it's the thought that goes into sort of building the whole story. Mm -hmm. That that's where you kind of sort a lot of your your issues out. I mean, that's a commission. Um, obviously, commission. You're working very closely with your client. If I'm just doing work for myself, you know, for, for the sheer sort of joy of it, then it's completely different, you know. How so? I think, I, I don't know, it's a much slower process. It's less intense. Um, it's more organic. You can allow yourself to sort of wander a bit more, mm -hmm. wander down those streets and sort of think, oh, no, this isn't the street I... Right. I needed, you know, get lost a bit more. Yeah. Um, it's much more contemplative. Um, yeah, it's just it's just slower, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but it always, it, you know, I suppose that the 
similarity is that there's always a text involved. Mm-hmm. So when you are working for your own ideas, not mm-hmm. doing a commission, do you work in a series? Do you Are you picking up mm-hmm. doing one piece and then having it grow into a body of work or how? Or do you sit and contemplate an entire body of work and then begin? It depends. The, the thing about sort of an artistic life is is that it is free, isn't it? So what worked in the past doesn't necessarily work now. But I suppose in the past, I've normally taken a text that I like. It could be just a really, really simple sentence. And I just sort of contemplate that sentence. You know, it's it's almost like a meditative practice. Yeah. I write it a lot. Um, and and it's it's almost like sort of trying to find the magic in the words, in the meaning, allow that to come to you mm-hmm. rather than just stop at the face value of the words. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's pretty important what words you choose. Right. <laughs> um, and again, it's a series or it's a process of, you know, the contemplation, the thought, the reflection. And then at some stage you just think, okay, you've just got to start getting pen to paper here. Yeah. Um, and in the past that's been, I've worked a lot with collage mm-hmm. Um so I'll normally have a, a sort of textile canvas background and then collage on top of that paper. And that creates a, a really nice flat sort of uh, large surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can write on that. You can stitch on that. You're almost creating your own canvas, literally. So you've got the fabric in the background, the paper on top. You know, if you imagine that is what a canvas is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but you get to control you know, the, the quality of the textile behind. So if that's a sort of brocade textile, um, you know, that'll come through the paper. Mm-hmm. So it, you're, what, you're, I hope what you're picking up is kind of a sense of play, you know, at that making stage. It's kind of like, okay, so I've thought about the words, whatever it, whatever it is. Um, and then you look at your textiles and it's like, well, you know, what, how, how do they fit? And so it's it's sort of one thing responds to the other. It's like a, a sort of ongoing conversation. Right. Do you have pieces like that in your studio yeah. right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Collages, yeah, yeah. Can we take a walk? Yeah, sure, okay. sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Actually, why don't we just do it now? Let's yeah? go for it. Yeah, yeah. here. Okay. We'll, uh, okay. This is when my lovely assistant's going to come in. <laughs> do you feel like you're carrying my train at a wedding? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you might have done that for me at least once. <laughs> Oh, fabulous. Come on in. Wow. Oh, this is great. That that funny smell is incense, by the way. I, I burned some nice <laughs> Japanese incense. Oh, well. and your brushes are fabulous. Oh, yeah. Lots of brushes. Fabulous. So, Rosalind, I did an interview with a Vancouver artist named David Tycho, and yeah. he went and studied. Did you happen to hear that one? No? No. So he went and studied in Japan for quite a while and was watching the Japanese calligraphers who work with these brushes that are the size of mops, and it's like a dance. Mm. And when he came back to Vancouver, he mm. found himself doing the same thing. I am definitely going to uh, right. share this episode and maybe a picture or two of your yeah. studio with him. Yeah, yeah beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Look at this calligraphy. Oh. So I'm very, very inspired by Japan. You know, having come from this very Western Roman alphabet, you know, I kept looking at, you know, Oriental calligraphy, Oriental brushwork and just being drawn by it. And eventually, you know, that led to me going to Japan, spending time with a Zen master. I mean, (laughs) there are quite a few out there, but I did. And uh, that has definitely become part of my practice beautiful this is amazing so for our listeners yeah this beautiful little studio out behind Rosalind's house it's just it is a it, it's a painting like you could sit here and do an entire series of paintings <laughs> just on this wonderful space so many many photos will be on our Instagram oh feed and on yeah oh my goodness. <laughs> okay so you were talking about having mm. a textile with mm. paper Mounted on it. Now we've got this beautiful um, old plan drawer, like a chest. It is a plan chest, actually. These are called listening paintings. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And the text that I started with was, um, it's an ancient text. I love sort of ancient texts. They sort of, I don't know, the fact that they're so ancient and yet you read them and you kind of think, is is that applicable today? You know, right. that kind of does something for me, really. Yeah. Um, so the text says, um, through the inner ear of a devotee, I make my way into his soul and sweep it clean. Oh, yeah. Oh, say that one more time. Through the inner ear of a devotee, I make my way into his soul and sweep it clean. Wow. Yeah. That is beautiful. Oh, that for me is what I'm saying about the word. Mm -hmm. Can, you know, can the word do that? Yeah. And I've experienced that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try and visualize that. Mm -hmm. What What's, you know, the word as a messenger, you know, it going through your, this inner channel of your ear and you know what that looks like you know yeah. it's this sort of winding passage mm -hmm. you know making its way to something really subtle that, that they're pointing to the soul but to everyone that soul is different mm -hmm. and then it just cleaning you know mm -hmm. it's it's incredible yeah. I think words do do that and can do that yeah. And what an incredible bridge over time, mm. somebody's words mm. from, mm. like, when would that have been? Oh, they're, they're, this is ancient Upanishad, so this is like, oh, God, I don't even know if they've put a date on the Upanishads. They're sort of Eastern um, Hindu texts, mm -hmm. um, same age as the Gita and the Mahabharata. Mm -hmm. um, so they're mythical, but they're also... Um, they're great teachers, you know, Shankara was a great teacher in India who had many, that's a lineage, a whole lineage of, of um, philosophy and teaching and aesthetics. Those ideas spinning in the air for centuries and then yeah. landing on this piece of paper. That yeah. is beautiful. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. I have so, I'm thinking of so many people who are going to want to see oh. your work and Aww. hear your words yeah Aww. this is really inspiring Aww. so you're inspired by Japanese calligraphers mm. and and all kinds of things from history what else do you find is making its way your work is so multi-layered mm. what else is making its way in there uh, yeah okay two things come to mind one is space and nature I just find the more that I travel places the more I'm inspired by how I feel when I travel you know, you feel different in different spaces. Um, and I suppose for someone who hasn't really ever lived anywhere other than London, you know, to go to, you know, I'm, I've only been to Canada once, but, <laughs> but say, you know, New Mexico, America, right. you know, just ha to feel what it feels like to spend time in a desert, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's amazing, actually. Um, you know, a lot of artists talk about light, mm -hmm. um, the light of different places, the fabric, you know, it's it's this, it's it's sort of I think words, messages, communication goes into the fabric of a land mm -hmm. or the vibration, you know, the vibration in the in the New Mexico mountains, you know, you, you can feel it. You yeah. can feel it. Yeah. So travel, um, but also um that alongside, um, I love I love working with. Um, how do I put this? I love working in a team more and more, actually. And I never thought I'd say that. In terms of suddenly, you realise how much more you can achieve in a team mm -hmm. of creative people. You know, I suppose working at Burberry, you you begin to see what a multi-layered organization that is right. and how they've achieved that and that's from a lot of brilliant people coming together and doing their job really really well so I find that quite inspiring at the moment and the moments for artists to do that can be rare we tend to work alone a right. lot yeah and I have worked to learn a lot so how are you bringing that in is it mostly through collaborating with I'd Burberry like to or? do that more really yeah you know, I'd like, I'd love the idea of being sort of creative thinker in business because I think, I think I need that and I think they need that. Yeah. You know, yes. Yes. and I think the world needs that, mm. yeah. you know, we, we need to sort of work together and, cr and break down these 
these barriers more and more to create to create a better world basically and that's a bit of a cliche but you know what I mean sometimes they're cliches because they're true yeah <laughs> now on your website it said something about work that you had created during an art trip was it a residency are you t- traveling to create what's your I have done some residencies I did a residency in India mm-hmm. um I tend to travel um if there's a sort of either a need or a point, you know, so Japan was definitely the end of a process of, you know, embarking on Zen brushwork and then being invited to Japan. Mm-hmm. And it, that sort of started a whole process that's continuing. Um, uh, the, the other type of travel is because I'm invited there to teach. So I've been invited to New Mexico in September. So that's what's taking me there, really. Okay, great. So it's like you get draw, you get drawn out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I don't have I don't I mean, yeah, yeah. It's interesting too. Like you you mentioned travel being an inspiration and wanting to have that sort of collaboration, having it work into mm. business and things mm. like that too. And sounds like there's some good mm. opportunities for overlap it's exciting it's exciting now I saw something on your website and I don't know if it is from a commission that you did but Mm -hmm. there was a quote from Jude Law oh yeah what is that about (laughs) okay so is he coming by oh yeah can stay a little longer come in just let yourself in yeah you know everything is (laughs) is he gonna lean over the fence and ask us to keep it down over here So charming, such a charming man. Um, so that came about through the gallery I'm with. Um, there's a funny story there, actually, because it was just before Christmas and, um, you know, how everyone feels before Christmas. Everyone feels, you know, just like so much on. And the gallery had said, can you come into the gallery and do some live stitching? And um, and she said, and, and anyway, I remember ringing her up like the day before and just saying, look, yeah, I've got so much on. Do I really need to come in? She said, well, look, put it this way. Jude Law's been in and really likes your work. <laughs> I went, the really? sound of the car door slamming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how often? Anyway, she. I kind of laughed. I said, okay, okay, well, I'll come in. I'll come in. And uh, so would you believe that I was in the gallery stitching and suddenly the whole gallery went very quiet and I could hear sort of, all the assistants running, scurrying down corridors and stuff. And then I, I swear to God, I heard him say, is that Ros Wyatt? <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when does that ever happen? <laughs> oh, it's just like, is that, did he say that about me? You know, and... <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> That is so awesome. <laughs> so um, anyway, then in he walks, you know, and we have, uh, you know, bless him. Obviously, there's a direct connection because he's all about words, you know. Right, right. So he, he got the connection immediately. Yeah. And it, it turned out that I ended up doing a commission for his mum for that Christmas. So I, I did pull some quite late, late yeah. nights yeah. working for him. Um, and that also, I, I sort of ended up telling him about the Stitch Lives of London. Have you read a bit about no. that? This is a, a sort of big, one of my passion projects. Um, it's a bit like a washing line of garments, um, but they each tell the story of Londoners in this way. So I stitch their handwriting onto a garment they might have worn. Oh, okay. There are 12 yeah. garments. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be a sort of exhibition or an installation for London. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up telling him about that. And I said, would you would you donate something? Would you donate a garment? He said, absolutely. <gasps> oh, so wow. I was like, okay, okay. Um, you know, and he got out a piece of paper and he wrote his number and he gave it to me. And I was like, you know, heart palpitation, right. complete heart palpitation. So I, got, I did a commission for him and he also um, donated the shirt he wore when he played Hamlet. <gasps> Oh, Ross, that is amazing. Mm. Amazing. Mm. And that project is, is, I'm so proud about that project because all of those garments have been donated completely free of charge. There's, it's not about money at all. So I don't stitch anything. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a business transaction. It's just because they believe in the project mm-hmm. 
And that's why I'm so passionate about just getting it out there to, to show everyone because it sort of it was built on something more than that, you know, mm-hmm. than just a sort of monetary commercial thing. And tell us what you did with Jude Law's Hamlet shirt. Do you want to see it? Yes, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, you're coming out, Jude. <laughs> Hang on. Okay, so this. Oh my, oh my. So this is the shirt. That, so th- this was what was so brilliant about this particular one. They've all been slightly different, these donations, shall we say. Um, because sort of Jude understood the premise. I had this conversation with him and I, and he said, well, why don't I donate the shirt I wore when I played Hamlet and I'll handwrite you some of the some of my favourite lines from Hamlet and you can then stitch them onto the shirt. So that's his handwriting. So that, of course, is his handwriting because this is what the, yes. whole, the whole point of it. Beautiful. Um. So, and, and this, you know, th- this is what's so amazing is that the quote, this is the point, if you know your Hamlet, it's just before he's murdered by Polonius. Mm-hmm. We defy augury. Augury refers to the passage of birds in the sky. It's a Greek word. There is special providence in the fall of a sparrow. If it be now, tis not to come. If it be not to come, it will be now. If it be not now, yet it will come. The readiness is all. Since no man knows of aught he leaves, what is to leave betimes, let be. So it's, it's. I mean, you could live your life to that philosophy, really. Mm-hmm. It's about the readiness is all, you know, being ready in the moment and, and letting be, you know, just what does that really mean? Just to let be, mm-hmm. let everything be as it is, yeah. you know, and this was... Hamlet, who was facing death, you know, facing his end. So deeply profound words. Um, and I love what's happening here. And so this is about the augury. Um, it's augury and time sort of meeting. So if we turn it over, I wanted to, uh, you know, convey this this word augury, this passage of birds. So mm-hmm. this is like the murmuration. We have something called the murmuration of starlings in, in Suffolk, where all the birds, they migrate. Mm-hmm. And they just, it's they create these incredible sort of shapes in the sky. And it looks a bit like that. So that's sort of what I've done in Stitch. And then um, you always have to have something that shines and glitters, don't you? Yeah. And I just, because it was so about time, right. I, f- I had in my little drawers over there, I had these timepieces. Little so these are, watch bits. Yeah. These are actual sort of antique timepieces. Wow. You look at this piece and it mm. has a sound to it, you Aww. know? It does. You can hear a beautiful, a beautiful uh, trailing of of time it's beautiful and mm. yeah and when you I'm sure for our listeners too mm. as you were reading those words mm. I had Jude Law's voice doing Aww. a voiceover for you so maybe yeah. we'll call him up and get him to Absolutely. do it for the podcast I'm sure he would like oh, that yeah. call why not yeah why yeah. not that <laughs> is just brilliant and who, who else has donated pieces is it celebrities generally or just a broad range of people what kind of pieces are in that show yeah, I've just put together a book actually talking of books so this is the Stitch Lives of London. And so it's an accordion fold book. Oh yeah. my goodness. Okay, we're definitely gonna need a video of this okay. for our listeners too. This is amazing. So this is a funny example of when you go to a printer and you say, I'd like a book like this, and they look at you. <laughs> we don't do yeah. that here. <laughs> so me and my lovely assistant, who you'll meet in a minute, uh-huh. we, we scratch our heads and think there's got to be a way yeah. to make that book. So this is the lab- long labor of many, many hours, but it's exactly how we want it. Um, there, there are the 12 pieces. On the back is the description Brilliant. Okay. So if we just go through them very briefly, we've got um, 18th century poor. Well, these are satin um, Edwardian dancing shoes, and they tell the story of an 18th century London pauper who lived on the streets of London. Wow. This is in no particular order because, (laughs) in a way, that's what I like. I like the fact of just jumbling up characters and seeing how Mm -hmm. an 18th century pauper 
sits next to, for instance, introducing, this is um, Stephen Lawrence. And I may have heard about Stephen Lawrence. He's um, He was a black teenager. He was um, tragically murdered in a black racial attack. This is in 1994, so it's his 25th anniversary of his death. Mm-hmm. The family, this is such a huge London story. Um, so your question about... Um, who are the characters here these are all characters who lived in London who I feel have say something very specific about either where we are now or where we were then Mm. about London Mm -hmm. and then you have these three pieces sort of work together this tells the story of the Tuke family Um, so they start starts with this 18th century satin corset um so this actually relates to my husband's family this is how i first started stitching on garments oh okay so this is quite a significant piece this mm-hmm. little one right here mm-hmm. my mother-in-law gave me this box of letters and in amongst the letters was this and that was the very very first garment i ever ever stitched and just because i felt the letters and the garment just so belonged to each other so i i literally with her permission started stitching the letters into the garment. The Tukes, this one is um, uh, the Tukes, they were um, mental health doctors and they reformed mental health in the sort of 17th, 18th century in the UK. They were Quakers. Um, Really, they believed that mentally ill people should be treated with loving kindness. They shouldn't be locked up into an asylum. So they changed all of that. Then we go on a generation... And this is this is where life and art, I think, crosses over. So I love Japan. I've always loved Japan. Turns out, a descendant of the Tukes, so we're now, like, 100 years later, fell in love with a Japanese playwright poet called Torohiko Kori. And they had this nine-year love affair, and we had all their love letters. And one of the lines from the letters was, Ah, oh, yes, I shall work, I shall work, the work that shall be our child. Now, he died after nine years of TB, so they never had a child. Mm. So that line really spoke to me. So this is their love story stitched onto a Japanese child's garment. Amazing. (laughs) This is a resolution of that family. Mm -hmm. So Hester, the lady who fell in love with Corey, Mm -hmm. went on to marry Frederick Etchells. Mm -hmm. And this is the garment that Hester made for my mother-in-law, Susan. Wow. So that sort of resolves that story. Yeah. Then we have these two pieces. So these were these were actually commissioned by Fortnum & Mason. So you can see this in Fortnum & Mason. Oh, great. In the perfume department. Um, so again, an amazing commission. Fortnum saying, we want you to tell our story. Mm-hmm. Pick any two characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> delve, delve, delve into the archive. And mm-hmm. and it had to be about the Churchill family. Mm-hmm. Um, and this tells the story of the 1924 Mallory, uh, Edmund Mallory expedition to Everest. Mm-hmm. So tell us, so because yeah. it's audio, tell us what these pieces are. Okay, so the Churchill one, this is called If I Were With You. Mm-hmm. And it's a silk satin Edwardian bodice, I think. Um, it's cream. It's it's very beautiful, and it's um, it's very of the period. And it's basically telling the story of the relationship between the young Winston Churchill and his mother, Jenny Churchill, who was this famed American beauty. Mm-hmm. And this piece all started with this letter that I've hand-stitched onto one of the arms. Um, And it's basically Winston Churchill, 16-year-old, writing to his mum from Harrow School, saying, I've just received a tremendous hamper. So I thought, bingo, that's that's such a great story. And it was covered with ink blots and smudges. So a bit like you, he smudged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was he a lefty? <laughs> he probably was, actually. There he we go. Was. Um, so that... That was that. We've got a portrait of Jenny Churchill. All on this beautiful... All on this satin. Satin and lace and a million mm. things happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we've got some um, tweed mountaineer trousers. 
And this is what they used to wear when they climbed Everest. Wow. Okay, one of the harshest environments on earth. (laughs) They were wearing Harris tweed. Wild. And uh, I don't know if you know about... Oh, totally. (laughs) So Mallory, of of course, didn't make it. Mm -hmm. Um, But they found his body perfectly preserved in the ice. Mm -hmm. And the connection with Fortnum's was that they provisioned... They provisioned that expedition. Those are not his actual. No, no, no they're not. <laughs> they're not. That, yeah. yeah, not not all. Yeah. yeah, some of them are, some of them aren't. Yeah. But this but is so like... funny because there are pictures, there are pictures of the expedition at base camp sitting down to afternoon tea with <laughs> teacups and saucers and tea strainers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, they took all that stuff to base camp. <laughs> I can't even get that stuff on a picnic. <laughs> It's so British and so balmy. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And these last few pieces. So then this is Jude, which mm-hmm. we talked about. Yeah. Um and I and I love that because as I said, you, you've now heard about how it came around. It came about very spontaneously. You know, to me it combines, you know, an actor and Shakespeare and what could be better really. Yes. Um, and then this, again, is another theme that sort of crops up quite a lot in my work. This is um, Johnny Benjamin. He's a mental health campaigner. This, again, was a big London story. He was um, about to commit suicide off the edge of Waterloo Bridge. And one passerby stopped. And they had this 15-minute conversation. And that changed his life. And he turned his life around from that moment based on that conversation, that act of kindness. Um, and this is the actual T-shirt he was wearing. Wow. But it's been dyed. Mm-hmm. Um, fact, this is it here. Oh, my gosh. So the fr- he. this is what's amazing about these commissions is that so much is shared. And look at this tiny, lovely stitched handwriting. Oh, my So this gosh. is Johnny's <gasps> actual poem that he wrote from the edge of Waterloo Bridge, standing on the edge of Waterloo Bridge, with a cold wind cutting my face. I glance down to the depths below. It ebbs and flows, a sea of waste. I hold tight to an iron bar behind me. Anyway, it goes on. It's very oh, graphically, right. beautifully written. Mm-hmm. So it's it's dyed, hand dyed on the front because in one of his diaries, which he shared with me, um, he talks about his indigo moods. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of sort of reversing the, well, having this sort of blackness sort of turning to whiteness, really. Mm-hmm. So literally sort of hand dyed it. And all of this imagery is so, yours. Yeah, this is yeah. this is what he sees. Yeah, as he's standing from the edge of the yeah bridge. Beautifully rendered line drawing of the city. Yeah, yeah, that's a screen print. Mm-hmm. And then on the back, um, oh, we've got Batman and Robin. We do swinging on beautiful <laughs> vines to the rescue. That's amazing. And is this a continuation of the poem? Yeah, this is a continuation. And would you have the poem? Could you send me the poem so I can? Tuck yeah, it sure. into that. Yeah, sure. I would love to share that. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Just catching bits and words of it. Mm. It's it's mm. Uh... with his handwriting. Sure. Mm-hmm. See, this is what's amazing about mental illness. You know, it it strikes the mo- can strike the most vulnerable people. And Johnny's he's sort of a modern day poet. Really, mm-hmm. it felt very important for me to stitch his words. You know, give him a voice. Really, mm-hmm. that's yeah. you know over beyond the fact that he's mentally ill. Is like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the real person you want to celebrate as well. Yes. Amazing. This this entire project just completely uh, moves me. So where does this get shown? Where, where has it been and where hmm. will it be shown? Well, um, I have big hopes for it. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel that obviously I made it, you know, the whole intention behind it was because I love London, because I love the people of London. So I feel that it belongs in London. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, London is an incredible place, but it's it, it can be quite hard as an artist because everything is so competitive. So I would love it to go to a Museum of London. I think these are really important social pieces. Mm-hmm. So the pieces have been shown individually, but 
what I really would love is for them all to be shown together because then I think the magic begins. It's yeah. like, you know, they, they start having a conversation amongst themselves. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's built for that. It is. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. The drama of it, then you can bring out the drama of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when it's showing someplace here, let us know. We'll, <laughs> we'll come over and, and get the mics out again and walk okay. through it. <laughs> it is absolutely brilliant. It's your work is not just beautiful, but very, very thought provoking. And this has been a total honor to be thank in here you. and see what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. So on a much lighter note, yeah. <laughs> the show is called Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. Ah. I don't know if you have a punchline for me or a joke you want to share or just a funny story from your artist life. We'd love to hear it. Well, the, the story I thought about was when I was very young and, you know, as a budding artist, you sort of take, you jump at any opportunity, don't you? So I used to do a lot of calligraphy for PR companies mm -hmm. and, um, it would often involve going to their sort of very plush, you know, cream offices, wall-to-wall -wall cream, cashmere carpet, no doubt, you know. And they'd always, I'd always say to them, look, I don't think it's a very good idea me bringing my inks into your offices, but they would always insist on it. <laughs> you know what's coming, don't you? It's called foreshadowing. You go right ahead. <laughs> so I turn up and um, I've got this sort of handkerchief size space to work in to sort of knock out these names you know for some incredibly posh event and I'm working and and I remember my, my contact there she was called Henrietta and she kept just sort of throwing names at me and I was sort of writing as fast as I could you know what's coming next I looked down and my bottle of ink had somehow managed to travel from the desk to the floor <laughs> So there was this puddle of black ink at my feet. But the hilarious thing is, she said, just keep writing. Keep writing. <laughs> Dipping your pen in the puddle on the floor. Get those names out. <laughs> right on. So I just thought, oh, my goodness. It's very crazy. Uh, crazy. The creative life is never dull. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yeah. It isn't. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time oh, to talk no, with us. This you. has been really lovely. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. You've been listening to Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. For full show notes and all the links, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe, sign up for updates, and leave us a review. And if you loved the episode, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com and buy us our next round. Cheers. <laughs>